Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. I'm Austin Meek with Waco Business News, and you're listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco Business. My guest today is Swayze Ray, creative director and editorial stylist. We talk about opening a storefront during COVID, closing the storefront during COVID, and ways to support Waco's artistic community, even if you aren't the one willing to take the risk. But first, let's hear from one of the competitors of Dancing with the Waco Stars. Dr. Hannah Ehrman is an OBGYN at Baylor Scott and White, and she is also one of the celebrities who will be participating in the Family Abuse Center's seventh annual Dancing with the Waco Stars on October 8th. Welcome to Downtown Depot. Hannah, how did you hear about this organization, the Family Abuse Center, and what are you going to be dancing? (laughs) So I actually heard about this from several different patients, and that's kind of how I got connected with them. So... Turns out work can be a good connection point. Did they nominate you for it? Essentially, yes. Okay. Yeah. And did they know that you have this special tap dancing skill or they just figured, hey, she's a good OBGYN. She probably is good on a dance floor, too. There <laughs> I, might be I did actually tell them that I tap danced. So, yes, <laughs> they knew. <laughs> and so what has the lead up been like to the final dance on October 8th? But you've been practicing and meeting with a coach. Yes. So I have a pro that I'm paired with, Mandy, who is awesome. Um, and we go to dance studios in Waco. So they um, donate like time at their dance studios for us. And we've been practicing once a week. And it's been awesome. I haven't actually tapped in like 10 years. So I feel kind of like a child, like just this sort of joy of like doing something that I used to do. It's been great. Well, you're so fiercely competent and clearly not a child when you are, you know, at the hospital. So maybe it's a nice thing for you to kind of turn your brain off and be a little bit more juvenile and get to learn from somebody else for a change. Yes, it's been just the best. I'm really glad I did it. The Family Abuse Center, they have been in Waco since 1980 and serving victims of domestic violence all across Central Texas. What is it about the Family Abuse Center's work and mission that is compelling you to get up on stage in front of a bunch of strangers and dance your heart out? Well, I have had a lot of patients who have been impacted by domestic violence. So it's something that I have seen and seen the long lasting impacts of. So what I love about the Family Abuse Center is that not only are they taking care of victims currently, but they're also doing education and outreach programs to actually try to improve or, or decrease domestic violence. So it's it's both uh, helping people now and also how do we make this issue better? How do we keep people from being affected by this in the future? If you want to support the Family Abuse Center, we are going to be taking our hats off to our heroes. That's the theme of this. So lots of people from different industries, mostly that have been 
pivotal to our community's success during COVID. A lot of people from the medical fields and uh, athletics and education. And you can go on to the FamilyAbuseCenter.org's website and you can cast votes. I voted for you, just so you, you know. Uh, just, just a little thank you here. And so I'm sure you're meeting a ton of interesting people through this process, right? Yes. So we had like a meet and greet at the beginning where we got to meet all the other stars and, and dancers who are performing. Um, and then we have a whole day of dress rehearsals, so I'll get to see them all again. Um, but in between, it's actually just been kind of me and Mandy doing our dance thing. You got a new best friend in town, I Mandy? do, yes. We, we've talked about continuing to dance together after this. So. The beginning of a new relationship. <laughs> well, you are sort of on the hunt for new relationships, or at least have been in yes. the last couple of years, because you recently moved here to Waco. You and your husband, Andrew, and your beautiful daughter, Charlotte, came here from Washington, D.C. I know you're originally from Houston, so Waco's not a foreign place, but I'm sure it feels quite foreign in comparison to the life you were leading in Washington, D.C., what have been some of the pros and cons or maybe surprises that the Ehrman families come across living in Central Texas? It definitely has been a bit of a culture shock. We left D.C. because we were looking for a place that had a bit more uh, stable community. So D.C. people are just moving in and out all the time. And one of the things I've really valued about Waco and that we were looking for is that there is so much more like really deeply rooted community um, and, and just the opportunity to really build lifelong relationships. Um, so that's been great. I think we are missing the D.C. restaurant scene a little bit, although there's some some hidden Waco gems. So, yeah, it's been it's it's always hard to make a move. I think this has been a very kind of drastic change, but we're settling in. We're enjoying our little plot of land and hoping to make this home for a long time. And what has the work life been at the hospital? Is it about what you expected? I guess you go through a pretty intense interview process. And so maybe you already knew what it was going to be like. You have an idea, but I think it's not until you're really into it that you figure out, like, is this actually a good fit for me? And the work has been great. I have, fortunately, some amazing partners that I'm working with, and I've really liked the hospital. Hillcrest is wonderful. So I feel like I'm really settling into my job and and feel like I couldn't have found a better fit. And now that you are here, you're settled into the job, you're making friends through dancing. One thing I've noticed in Waco and our next guest, Swayze Ray, is going to be talking about but the lack of venues and how, like, if I wanted to go dance tonight, I could go to Melody Ranch, I suppose. And maybe there's a few other places, but especially if you're not trying to go two-stepping and do country music, it seemed like if I wanted to go tap dance somewhere, <laughs> I'd, I don't know where I would do that. If I wanted to go bump and grind somewhere, I don't really know where I would do that. Um, have you found any ways to get out your more creative outlets for all this dance energy that you have pinned up? I think that's going to be an adventure for after this show <laughs> that I'm going to have to figure out where I'm going to put all that energy. Well, we are so excited and grateful that you would lend your time and your expertise. Obviously, as a working mom who is a physician, you don't have a ton of extra time. So the fact that you're practicing every single week with Mandy, your partner, and that you're going to get to be on stage dancing on October 8th, 2022 at the Baylor Club, that's just fabulous. And you really are an exemplary person that we can all look to as a professional in the community who is putting her money where her mouth is and willing to go shake that thing up on stage and uh, do it all for the benefit of the Family Abuse Center. So I'm so glad that you and your family are here in Central Texas, and thank you for donating your time that way. Well, thank you for having me today. It's been fun. Coming up next is our interview with Swayze Ray. But first... 
Let's hear this week's edition of Business Review with CJ Jackson on KWBU Waco Public Radio. Better judgments, better results. I'm CJ Jackson, and this is the Business Review. The key to good business results is making better decisions. And better decisions come from better judgment, according to Scott Motts, CEO of Profound Performance. Motts shares six elements that contribute to better business results. So often we leave decision-making to the last minute to patterns and we assume that we're born with the judgment that we have and we don't understand that you can actually improve your business judgment. The first element is to listen carefully and be critical of everything you read. Pay attention to what's said and not said, what's written and not written. Spotting discrepancies and inconsistencies in the data. Second, you have to seek to contradict your opinion, not validate it. You want to find people that are going to contradict your opinion. The third element is to be aware of the pitfall of familiarity. Motz says that habits and complacency should not replace curiosity and creativity. The fourth element of developing good business judgment is to know your biases and to stop them cold. The fifth element is to ask what's the better third option. So often we're presented with two choices. One is the recommendation that the presenter really wants us to follow. And then the second one usually is a foil, one filled, filled with problems so that it'll make the first one look better. The sixth way to develop your business judgment is to just ask how executable is the strategy or the idea that I'm faced with here. Good judgment is one of the most important skills that you can have in business and in life. Business Review is a production of Livingston and McKay and the Handcammer School of Business at Baylor University. I'm now joined in studio by Swayze Ray. Swayze is a biochemist turned sales and marketing maven. Welcome to Downtown Depot. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. What's your history in Central Texas and in Waco? How'd you get here? What brought you? So I came directly for a PhD in biochemistry. It's actually my second graduate degree in that field. And interestingly enough, it wasn't directly from my previous graduate experience. Um, And so I actually came from Philadelphia all the way here. I sort of got sick of it being cold and I really miss sweet tea. And what year was it you came to Waco? It was in 2015. So um, seven-year anniversary just a couple days ago. Um, And so I've, I've been in science as long as I can remember. I went to you know, a special school for nerds, and it's a governor school. Um, so I've always been very, very passionate about it, but I've always kind of stuck out. Um, uh, I've loved fashion, and I've loved um, you know, visual art for as long as I can remember. And so even as a chemist now, I do, say, molecular modeling um, and molecular photography. And so I started to notice I'm really shifting away further and further and further from what it is that typically a biochemist or a molecular pharmacologist or any of these integrated professionals really do. And so I started, you know, definitely during the pandemic, my lab closed completely, you know, ghost town. And I was like, well, man, I've got this, this hoard. (laughs) And I'm not so much a hoarder, but the thrift scene in Waco is fabulous. So being able to get beautiful garments, you know, antiques, vintage clothing is very easy. And of course, you're, you go to Eastside Market, you can definitely see that there are wonderful pickers as well. So it's a strong place. Um, but I was like, well, I have all of this and I would love other people to enjoy it, especially during the pandemic. And so 
during that time, I just set up like a little like a little booth at Cameron Trading with all my little vintage things. And I was like, man, this is more of a production space in a sense where I'm creative directing and retail. And I just started seeing, you know, people on Instagram where they would wear these clothes and they were really, really happy with them. And of course, it's based on my aesthetic. I'm not going to buy things that really don't uh, uh, mesh well with what I was doing. But you know, being able to build that space from the ground up, like I had to sand the floors, like paint everything, do everything. But I was by myself up there. It was very quiet, great for coronavirus. Um, and just being able to build something from what I had sort of in the back room proverbially. And so it really was a nice thing because, you know, I'm not married, um, even though I'm a non-traditional student, I'm older. So a lot of where people would spend time with a family, I spend time with a very different baby. So blonde mink and blonde mink vintage. What is it about Waco that makes it a thrifter's paradise? Oh, man. So the thing about Central Texas that's really interesting is that just even based on that industry, not to get too technical, is that it costs a lot of money to move things to Dallas and Austin. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense for a Goodwill to put something in, say, a truck that we could sell right here in this market. And of course, with Baylor, you do actually have some pretty savvy shoppers. You know? But the one thing that's interesting, and it's a little bit of a secret, is that the outlet you know, on Waco Drive, the bins, I think really also harkens to the fact that it's a very tactile process. You know, Most people, when you go to, say, a, a boutique or a designer, they're telling you, this is the look, this is the combination that you should wear, this is what we think is in. And I think that with Wakoans, they're very sensible people, very practical people, um, even though they're very fashionable and very artistic, is they want to touch it, they want to put it together, they have a sense of really individual style. And I think that when it comes to competing with, say, inventory in a store, things get bought up really quickly in fast fashion, there may be five pieces of something. But when you have something where there's a rainbow, where I go to the thrift store, I'm like, I know there's a friend. I know I just put out a new thing, but there's something in here for me always. And there's a little bit of that faith piece there because what I want is not what the next person wants, what the next person wants. And I think that that's a really great way that there's a there's a, just a really great vibe about keeping things in the community, being able to resell things, being able to appreciate things. And I think that it being more small town is a strong part of the heart of that. Waco seems to have a very proud history. And so it makes sense to me that this would be a spot where people love garments that are passed down and furniture that, you know, a few weeks ago, the, one of the heirs of William Cameron, the guy who started Cameron Parker, is named after him. I think it was his great granddaughter, but she's elderly and was moving out of her house. And so my sister was actually able to acquire some furniture and some paintings that had been in William Cameron's home. And that's something that in other communities, maybe they would have been tossed 100 years ago, but people in Waco really do care about that history and preserving it. The booth that you have at Cameron Trading Company, give our listeners who haven't been into Cameron Trading Company and maybe haven't been to the Blonde Mink Vintage setup an idea of what it would look like, what they might find there. Is it clothes? Is it furniture? Well, first and foremost, it's pink. You cannot miss it. So I am a breast cancer survivor, um, childhood breast cancer survivor. So it was another thing that got me into biochemistry. But that's something where when I look at pink, it makes me happy. It makes me think of power. It makes me think of femininity. And of course, that's something that translates into there. So blonde mink, you go in there, there's going to be a big pink rug, pink furniture, pink things, the pink dot, of course. 
And so you walk in, it's sort of to the right, it's very hidden near the corner. And there's all kinds of things that I think are part of lifestyle. So small housewares, shoes, little jewelry, just a little bit of everything. And then during the winter months, because that particular floor of camera trading is not heated or cooled. So of course, during the summer, I don't expect anyone to be there. And that's where I did do most of my aesthetic experimentation anyway. So it's more likely to change when it's hottest. But during the winter time, I am blonde mink vintage. And so the thing is that if you're interested in getting a mink coat or a, um, a really nice fur, that's also one of the very few places in Waco you can get them. And of course, I sell them in a, a real range. So the theatrical range where you can see it from maybe 20 feet away, it might have a ripper tear or something that is absolutely just pristine that you could wear that's bridal. I think that people really, especially in Texas, appreciate something like a fine for good. When I think about like a rich Texas woman, I think about that mink coat as well. So I'm at home for sure. So very much seasonal, you know, sometimes there's gowns, you know, around prom time. So I try to be very sensitive to what people would really enjoy. And of course, around Christmas, you know, being able to give a mink is a very new heirloom to a young lady or a young man. I think is a really like fun thing. And especially with the concept of new heirloom, just like I said, is, you know, I'm a transplant. I'm not close to my family from South Carolina. I come from a very small family. And so even being able to be like, hey, you can restart that. You know, it doesn't have to be your grandma from the, the 50s that got this from, you know, a family member. It can actually or originate with you. So a lot of that's just trying to integrate more of a new home, a new vibe that you might inherit, but would not necessarily need to. During the pandemic, you are hanging out on the second floor of Cameron Trading Company in the heat and the cold. Everything's pink, and you are letting creative projects run wild up there in your mm -hmm. small booth. But at some point, you recognize, hey, I need to be unbounded. I want to have a little bit more space to play. And that is when you opened up a little space over on Washington. Mm -hmm. um, the space is closed now. It was open for a while. That has to be just such a tumultuous emotional roller coaster, opening something, closing something. And I think that a lot of our listeners forget the realities of, yes, well, it'd be nice to have a storefront, but it costs five grand a month and I have to pay electricity and now I have additional insurance. Those are the things that if you're not a business owner, you might not understand. So can you take us through the highs and the lows of having your own space rather than just renting space out at Cameron Trading? Well, naturally. So I've always had that place in Cameron Trading because when I took on the next level as creative director and photographer, when you do projects or you do um, editorial work, which is predominantly what I do, I also do advertisements for, say, hospitality as well as small articles. But one of the things about businesses is that they make terrible roommates. So I love Blumming to death. She's my baby. But terrible roommate. And so I needed to expand and I was interested in doing more e-com. I was interested in doing more editorial work. And so the thing is that being able to put the investment to have a space where you can really expand and really get a lot of work done is that I think it's very important to consider overhead where I wouldn't say so much that it's about being that roller coaster, but I would say that on a practical level, you do have to take your emotions out of it. So objectively, I was like, I need this amount of time to get this many projects done. So if I'm going to do e-com and if I'm going to do editorial, if I'm going to have a, a, you know, a cyclorama and then have all these spaces, as well as the fact that I was interested in opening up because we had a venue. So I was interested in working in musicians, doing some of their promotional stuff, being able to style and dress them you know, at the stage level was really, really cool as well. And so it made sense to invest in you know 12 months of time for me to have a place that was really a 
allowing me to expand and to refold into another business and to evolve even into doubling all of that. So I went from being one business to technically five. You're hearing from Swayze Ray, owner of Blonde Mink and Blonde Mink Vintage. When you were having the idea to start this space over on Washington, you mentioned that you wanted to get more involved with the artistic community in Waco. What did you find? Well, the thing about any artistic community is that I do feel that we're sort of a constellation and we're not quite connecting the dots from place to place. And so I would say that when it comes to music venues or it comes to art spaces, we really don't have a collective vision about that outside of the downtown area. And so what I was finding is that being able to draw people into those areas, I mean, I'm lucky because my space had a parking lot, but that's not always something that's afforded to everybody or being able to go to a place where alcohol is not at the heart. You know, at Blonde Mink, we definitely had refreshments, but that was very secondary to having people into my space. And so being able to translate where it's not just someone going to a bar and there happens to be a musician there, or it's something that's much larger, because we do have world-class musicians. I mean, I had Ben Atkins and Smooth Nature, and they are all so talented, just just incredibly talented, incredibly hardworking, respectful people to work with. Any venue would be lucky to work with them. And so what I found, even in the disjoint there, is that we don't have a lot of venues in in Waco, and we don't have a lot of uh, venues that are really evenly spread. And so being able to get into certain communities is very, very difficult, where I think that having those projects, even for music, and being a musician myself, it's very important. So, you know, if you're not at Baylor, do you get to play at Waco Hall? That's very, very challenging if you're a smaller act. And definitely with Blonde Mink, being able to have a venue that's interested in your advertising and your promotions and communications, where if you're a larger act, of course, your label does that. But that's, I think, a disjoint there. So so if we do know that there's terrific world-class talent in Waco, but we also recognize that there are not enough venues or not enough good venues or not enough venues that are accessible, what did you find in your 12 months of putting on shows? Risk. Risk is the biggest thing for any business, and I you know, have no aversion to a certain level of risk, of course, when I worked with musicians. It was about knowing who they are and knowing what they represent to a lot of people, and so putting my space as a, a more collective and more community-driven thing. These are colleagues to me, so I am merely just a lateral part of a team to them, so it's my job to help them. Okay, what is it they need? Do they need photography? Do they need to be styled? How do we present them on, on stage? And I think that the disconnect really comes from, does a venue have a lot of interest in helping them produce something that's really interesting to the community? Because the the venue knows what the community likes, but a focus like that is not something a band would have. And so being able to pivot and find a, a really happy medium between that is how a venue now can become a collaborator instead of just a place that's booking someone, but in fact, someone who, you know, I guess like an entity that's allowed to create a real platform and not merely a stage. Are there certain areas outside of the downtown area, which you already mentioned, that you see as ripe for a music venue or, hey, this really should be happening here and it's just not yet? And maybe someone listening to this program says, hey, I'm willing to take the risk. You know, Float Fest, for instance, in Austin is really cool. And so having more events that are around water, around, you know, being able to do things that are in these wide open spaces, they're not just really close to urban centers. You know, we're, this is Texas, we got plenty of space. And so I think that having like a festival scene or it being like that, instead of it just belonging to Dallas or just belonging to Austin, you know, South by Southwest and Austin City Limits are great. And so the question here is that, well, if they're doing it so well, why can we not bring that here? And we do it at our scale and we do it in our level. 
people, but being able to say, you know, celebration brings in people from all over. And so somebody that would be really, really interested in doing their version of that and being really entrepreneurial, because, of course, that in and of itself is a large advertising event, not just a music uh, venue. And so thinking about how many bands are we really going to be able to pull from the Waco community? Who's going to be the flagship? Is it going to be someone from Texas or is it going to be someone from outside? Because, of course, these larger venues have world-class, international-class musicians from large labels versus someone who's independent because being independent makes sense nowadays. It didn't 10 years ago. And so I think that being able to do festivals or restivals where you have different styles makes total sense instead of Wait, it being— Wait, what's, what's a restival? Oh, my gosh, a restival. So restival is one of those things where it's much more laid back. So instead of it being electro or it's rock, it's something that's smaller venues, smaller arenas where it's unplugged. And so I think that that's just the the way that it can be where, you know, definitely with COVID as well when it came to venues where how many people can we have in here? Is it good for us to take on a risk when we can't even sell tickets at a certain level? I mean, like, at, you know, at Mink, Smooth Nature with members of Suede, there's too much talent in that room for me to, to charge less than $30 because of what they are. And I know that that's something that people are not always comfortable with as a price tag. But I'm like, well, if you get in your car and you drive to Austin, we've already beaten that price tag on gas. And so I think that for me personally, is that with COVID, we were limiting occupancy and we're not charging enough for tickets. And I, I know that seems weird to say, but people really value things where it's limited. It's something that they've invested in and they really are supporting artists. Well, now they can invest in themselves and grow the way that they need to. Well, it does, Swayze, go all the way back to that brand. And you're building this blonde mink brand because Standard Hatworks over there on New Road, they, and Cameron Morris, the leader there, they host these really small, intimate country mm-hmm. concerts, and tickets are probably 250 bucks a pop. And you'll get to be one of 30 people there and have a nice meal and get to hear someone great like Wade Bowen. And people are willing to do that because they trust the brand. They trust Cameron. And you're able to be building that as you continue to grow Blonde Mink. One of the best and worst things about being in Waco is that you're 90 miles from Dallas and from Austin. And so that's a great thing in that we can go learn from there. We can get talent from there. We can go hang out there when we want. But also, Wake Owens, listen to Swayze and me. There is going to be risk involved in any type of business. But everyone who goes to Austin City Limits is looking at Waco saying, well, hey, I want to do my own festival. It's a third of the price in Waco. So eventually, you're going to have these Dallas people and Austin people coming to Waco. What does Waco and Wake Owens need to be aware of? As we go into the next couple of years, the city is going to be growing a ton. How do we retain our authenticity and how do we keep supporting this artist community that you are a big part of and helping build? That's a fabulous question. And it's a very important one because I think that, you know, when you have a really strong you know, community, you have people that have really standardized something. It's really important to help your neighbor because if that person cannot grow, pick your allies because your enemies will absolutely invade. And so I think that being able to really fill in the footprint is really important. Um, you know, you really touched on the intimacy of shows. And that was one of the things that for me made a lot of sense because, you know, fear of loss and sense of urgency are important elements of being able to get people excited about things. And when you're like, well, I have only this much space in my tiny, you know, studio and, you know, being able to photograph people, being able to look at them in a real stage um, that's more or less for fashion photography instead of just for music, it's very different. And so I would say ultimately being able to compete is to 
you know, help your neighbor, help all of these, you know, these up and coming acts, because, you know, there are musicians that are from Dallas and Austin that can sell their house and move here right now. And so being able to put that together, you know, and compete is help the people that are here, grow the people that are here, invest in people that are here, because otherwise your market is going to shift dramatically, you know, um, uh, Chip and Joe are able to do what they do because they had help from outside money. And so we have to be very careful about how we're spending our inside money. Swayze Ray, biochemist turned blonde mink. <laughs> thank you for sharing your time with us and for giving us a little bit of slice of your life there in downtown Waco. Well, thank you for hearing my story. It was a pleasure. Thanks again to Swayze Ray of the Blonde Mink, Dr. Hannah Ehrman of Baylor Scott & White, and you for tuning into episode 132 of Downtown Depot here on Waco Public Radio. You can find me in between episodes on Facebook and Instagram at Waco Business News. And join us back here on the first Friday of September for another conversation with an inspiring business owner, civic leader, or engaged citizen sparking Waco's revitalization. I'm Austin Meek, and you've been listening to Downtown Depot, where we track the ins and outs of Waco business. Thank you.